the sermon is delivered by seminarian Benjamin Vanderheide. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we hear today's gospel, the word stewardship may come to mind. That is what the parable describes. The master leaves his possessions with his servants and departs. They are now stewards for the master. In church contexts, stewardship might bring to mind fundraising drives or sermons that encourage generous giving. But this text from our gospel pertains not merely to whether the budget will be met this upcoming fiscal year. The stewardship of this text pertains to eternal life. The faithful servants hear the beautiful words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But to the unfaithful servant, the master says, Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The faithful steward will receive eternal joy in the presence of the master, while the unfaithful receives eternal torment outside, apart from the master. Since the stakes are so high, it's not to any ordinary stewardship that Jesus is directing our attention, as if the kingdom of heaven hinged on the size of a a donation or on the tallying of volunteer hours. No, we will look beyond earthly stewardships to a heavenly one, to the spiritual goods God has entrusted to us. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, When he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives, and he gave gifts to men. That is, Paul clarifies, when Jesus ascended into heaven... He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, not that they themselves as people were the gift because of some inherent greatness on their part. The apostles and prophets were able to be the foundation of the church, and the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers were able to build up the church because they were the ones entrusted with the teaching of Christ. As Paul admits in Ephesians chapter 3, To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So to the apostles and prophets, God gave the stewardship of teaching Christ. And so through those chosen men and disciples, God entrusted the gospel To the church. And so we have pastors, priests, bishops, etc. They have the task of dispensing the spiritual goods. God compels them to put to use the good deposit that's been entrusted to them, and they are under heavenly scrutiny for it. God is jealous for the salvation of all, He is looking for profit from this deposit. And it's to pastors that God gives the responsibility of the care of souls by preaching and teaching. Paul says in Corinthians chapter 9, Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. The teacher has to teach. Like a surgeon who sits out when he should be in the operating room, cutting out a tumor, that's what a pastor would do who neglected teaching. The pastor stands in the place 
of the great physician who not only preached repentance of sins, but became the cure. By his wounds we are healed. The pastor sets Christ before our eyes so that we would gain wisdom and repent of our sins and be won over to eternal salvation. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says in John chapter 14. There is no other way to salvation except through Christ. And so in his pursuit of our salvation, God sends us teachers to warn us off the broad way of complacency that leads to destruction onto the way of Christ. God wants a prophet of souls gained through the preaching of the gospel. And he holds pastors accountable. We have it in Hebrews chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So then, we aren't without our own share of responsibility in the stewardship of the teaching of Christ. In the first place, we must abide the teaching of the pastor. At times we have to grit our teeth and abide the pain and trust the hands of the good doctor knowing that he is accountable to God for each of our souls. He's accountable to God that he preached Christ. Through preaching Christ, Christ kills the sin in our flesh. He cuts out the disease so as to raise us to new life in the Spirit. So, if it happens that we are caught in our sin and we find ourselves on the operating table, and Christ is working on us, working out some infection out of our soul by the preaching of the pastor, it means that God hasn't abandoned us to die in our sin. He sent his herald, his representative, his underphysician, to bring the cure by proclaiming repentance and faith in Christ. If we find ourselves under the discipline of the pastor, this is cause for thanksgiving. He's administering the discipline of our Heavenly Father. That we receive the Father's discipline means that we are the Father's legitimate, beloved children. Now in, the res- now in the stewardship of the gospel, we are not only responsible as hearers to receive instruction, correction, and training with thanksgiving. We are also all responsible as teachers, even if we aren't called to stand up in the pulpit. We've all received the good deposit of the faith. We must all put it to use in prayer and meditation on the word with God and with one another. And by so doing, we make a profit both in our own faith and understanding and also in our neighbors. Moreover, where appropriate, we must always be prepared, as Peter teaches in his first letter, chapter 3, to give a defense of the hope that is in us to anyone that asks doing so with humility and respect. We men, additionally, need to remember that if we are the head of our household, we are the overseers of our family, just as the pastor is the overseer of the flock. I think we learned this lesson when we weren't able to meet together in person for worship. As the head of the household, you may have felt added pressure to be your family's pastor, if I can put it that way. Having this deposit of our faith for ourselves, we have a duty to put it out for a profit within our family. Peter writes in chapter 4 of his letter, his first letter, As each has received a gift, 
use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So we've been talking about the stewardship of speaking and teaching, and this is the primary stewardship. If we haven't been taught Christ, then how can we know God in order to give him glory for our strength when we serve? So teaching is primary, but that's not to say, by any means, that the gift of teaching is superior to that of serving. Just as the servant with ten talents gets the same reward as the servant with four, both having labored faithfully and doubled their money. So teaching is not superior to serving. Just as faith is not superior to love. The two go together. What the pastor is teaching and proclaiming is the love of Christ, in essence. It's the aim of our faith to grow in the knowledge of Christ's love. This is what Paul prays for, um, for the Ephesian Christians in chapter 2 of his letter. That Christ would live in them and that they would have strength to comprehend the breadth, length, height, and depth of the love of Christ, a love that surpasses knowledge. So as we contemplate the love of Christ, as we put to work the deposit given us, Christ's love in us produces a profit. It produces an increase of understanding, of faith and trust, and of love for God and for one another. And there is one place we have to look as we contemplate his love. There's one act in the story of redemption that we keep always before our eyes. There's one image we carry with us. We bind it around our necks and we mark it on our foreheads and on our hearts. It is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ. And if you can imagine a cross, you have the breadth and the length making up the horizontal cross beam, and you have the height and the depth making up the vertical beam. The cross. The cross shows us our glimpse into the unsearchable mystery of the love of Christ. So may that love poured out for us on Calvary produce a profit in us as we speak and as we serve, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.